Well, we are nearing our time, uh, the end of our time in the book uh, of Philippians, in this uh, brief letter to the church at Philippi. It might have snuck up on you. Uh, we only have a, a few more weeks, uh, perhaps uh, depending on how things uh, break down in the next week or so, perhaps just one more week in the book of Philippians. My intention at this point is to uh, move into the book of 1 John. We'll see how that all goes. Uh, I uh, reserve the right to change my mind between now and then. Um, that, seem, that seems to be where things are heading. But this morning we are in Philippians chapter 4, and we're considering verses 14 to 18. So again, Philippians 4, 14 to 18. We're going to read first, though, as our scripture reading, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 32 to 39. I think you'll see how uh, one passage helps us to interpret the other. So again, uh, Hebrew, uh, sorry, Philippians 4, 14 to 18, that's our sermon passage, but our scripture reading, which we'll read first, is Hebrews 10, uh, 32 to 39. And so if you will, please turn in your Bibles to these passages. And once you're there, uh, please keep in mind that this is the Word of God. You are you're going to read along with it. You're going to hear it. So this is God's Word. This is God speaking to you. It is His voice who speaks. So give ear unto it. Give your full attention to the reading of God's Word. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance. So that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now turning, if you will, to Philippians chapter 4, verses 14 to 18. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into the partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. This ends the reading of God's most holy word. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that you would bless the word as it has been read, as we contemplate it, as we Think about it. We pray, dear Lord, that you bless the word as it is about to be preached. Please be with us, Lord. Give us ears to hear. Give us minds to understand. Help us, O Lord, to hear your word, to apply it to our lives, to seek to be obedient to it. We pray, dear Lord, that your word would be a perfecting agent in our lives, that your spirit would use it to sanctify us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, in our passage this morning, Paul is he's transitioning now from his expression of thanksgiving for the Philippians' recent gift uh, to him, 
back to a reminiscence of their support of him in the gospel ministry in the earliest days of his missionary work on European soil. And he's going to come back to this recent gift once again. He's, he's seeing these, these gifts of the Philippian church to him over the, over the years, perhaps a decade or more. He's, he's seeing this as, as one thing, as a, as a unit. That their contributions to him, their, their financial support of him over these many years has, has been uh, in keeping with their mindset toward the ministry that God has called them to. And along the way of, uh, toward this transition, Paul tells the Philippians of how the Lord has brought him to a point of contentment in all things. That was in uh, last week's passage. He did so because of the strength of Jesus Christ, which has been given to Paul. And so Paul says there, I can do all things. I can be content in all things through Christ, through him who strengthens me. And so now in verse 14 of our passage this morning, Paul tells the Philippians, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. He's returning uh, to what he wrote to them just a few verses earlier in verse 10, where he said, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. But he's also talking about all of the the times, the, the number of times over the years that the Philippians have shared with him, partnered with him. Their concern for Paul most recently, which was expressed both through a financial gift to him and the sending of Epaphroditus to him to deliver this gift and to also to minister to Paul was, as he says in verse 14, a sharing, or perhaps better, a partnership in Paul's troubles. In other words, they entered into his troubles along with Paul. As Paul suffered, they were suffering with him. As they became aware of his needs, they, they entered into a, a neediness in a sense. They entered into his neediness. They partnered with him in the gospel, as he puts it way back in chapter 1, verse 5, using a very similar word in the Greek. And now he tells them that they have partnered with him in his trouble. Now this word that's translated trouble in verse 14, it's used many times in the New Testament. It's translated variously as tribulation, as anguish, affliction, persecution, suffering, and burden. And the most common way that the ESV translates translates the word in our passage trouble translates it elsewhere is affliction which is the way that it's translated in hebrews chapter 10 verse 33 which we read beginning in verse 32 but recall the recall the former days when after you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being uh, publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so treated affliction there is the same word as, as trouble in our passage And so the writer of the book of Hebrews, he's reminding the readers that they have both suffered afflictions and they have partnered with those who have suffered afflictions. They're sharing in their troubles. And so now looking at our passage once again, Paul is thanking the Philippians for the way that they recently have partnered with him in his time of trouble by sending Epaphroditus to him along with the gift of financial support, but also all of the times over the years that they have shared, partnered with him in his trouble. Now, when we considered Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 3 to 5, this was back in March of this year, we jumped ahead back then uh, to look at what Paul says to the Philippians in our passage this morning, specifically verse 15. Paul writes in verse 15, And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. The beginning of the gospel, meaning the gospel on European soil. From the very beginning, 
from the first time that the gospel was preached in Europe, in, in Macedonia, specifically in Philippi, the Philippian church, he says there, entered into partnership with them. It seemed as if they had an, almost an intuitive understanding of the importance of the proclamation of the gospel. And they wanted to be a part of it. They wanted to get in on it at the ground level, as we like to say nowadays. In the basement. They were there. They wanted to support Paul. When no other church in Macedonia would, the church at Philippi supported him. They joined into a fellowship with him. And as we saw a while back, the word that's translated partnership in verse 15 is commonly translated fellowship elsewhere in the New Testament. But Paul's use of the word goes far beyond our current understanding of, of fellowship or, or partnership. Our understanding of fellowship is pretty much limited to hanging out with friends. We do have fellowship meals here at Mid-Cities. We have various other opportunities for fellowship. All of these are intended to, to, to further this bond that we have, to, to increase the fellowship. Fellowship is not an, an end unto itself, not the fellowship that we, that we know and enjoy on a monthly basis here in the fellowship meal, on those Friday night gatherings, at men's fellowship, and other kinds of things that we have. It, it's, it's entering us into a deeper level of fellowship, a different kind of fellowship. But, but even the, the type of fellowship that, that, we, that we use by name here at Mid-Cities, it's, it's more limited in its scope and its definition than what Paul means in the passage here. And partnership gets at Paul's meaning a little better. But unfortunately, when we hear partnership, we English-speaking Americans, we have to overcome uh, these automatic thoughts of a business arrangement or a partnership in a law firm. Sometimes we, uh, our understanding of marriage is in terms of partnership, and none of those understandings is wrong, but again, it's more limited than what Paul uh, means and the way that he uses the word in our passage today. I think the most well-developed concept we have in the English language of Paul's concept of fellowship is actually found in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings books and the idea of the Fellowship of the Ring. You've, some of you, most of you have probably seen the movie. Some of you maybe have read the books. I don't know. I'm hoping more of you than just a few have read the books. But the Fellowship after which the first of the three Lord of the Rings books is named, it consists of nine companions, including the ring bearer, Frodo, the hobbit, who together share in the trials and the challenges of ensuring that this evil ring is destroyed. This fellowship that they have, it's not just sitting around and, and knocking back a few pints. Although, it's fun to read of those incidents when they happen in the book. It's not just that. They share in the trials, the griefs, the challenges. They, they bear the weight. There are times when, when Samwise Gamgee has to carry Frodo to get him to where he needs to get with that ring. If you haven't read the book, read the book. Read the books. It will help you to understand what Paul is talking about here. I, I don't know that Tolkien had in mind this type of fellowship and partnership that Paul speaks of, but most certainly it gives to us a picture of the church. A group of nine companions made up of people, and not even people, humans, elves, dwarves, hobbits. They're all joining together for a common purpose, to achieve a common goal. To do away with this evil ring. And this is a picture of the church. This is a picture of what Paul is talking about here when he tells the Philippians they've shared with him, they've partnered with him in his trouble. 
And this kind of fellowship everyone shares with each other. Paul shared with the Philippians. The Philippians understand that. He was willing to risk life and limb because of a vision that he received in Troas in which a Macedonian man urged him to come to Macedonia and help them. He receives this vision and he is on the seas across uh, the, the Adriatic, the Aegean Sea to get to Macedonia. The Philippians understood that what Paul had done uh, was in sharing the gospel, the good news with them, and so they in turn shared with him. They shared their financial resources. They, they shared a, a member of their own congregation to, to come to Paul in his time of need, in his time of, of imprisonment, Epaphroditus. They shared in his joys and in his troubles, and they were the only ones in Macedonia to do so, according to Paul. The Philippians were so filled with gratitude to the Lord for what he had done in sending Paul as a messenger of good news that they wanted to ensure that other people would have the same opportunity to hear that good news that they had had. But the Philippians sharing with Paul, it wasn't just a one-time offer of assistance. Paul writes in verse 16, Even in Thessalonica you sent me help for my needs once and again, over and over. We don't know whether they waited to hear if a need has, had arisen or if they just kept sending, kept supporting. This is what a true partnership, true fellowship consists of. Regular involvement and participation in the lives of your brothers and sisters. But for the Philippians, after Paul departed Philippi to minister in other places, their involvement primarily consisted of prayer for Paul and his team, sending letters to Paul, sending him financial support, sending Epaphroditus to accompany him. They weren't able to engage with Paul and supporting him in the same way as, he, as it had been with him in person. The dynamic changed a certain degree. Now verse 17 of our passage is similar to verse 11 in last week's sermon passage. Here, as with verse 11, Paul is letting the Philippians know in a very gentle way that he doesn't need further financial help from them. But he wants to explain why he's spent time discussing their gifts with them. He writes in the second half of verse 17, But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Why is he belaboring the point here? Why is he spending so much time in talking about this gift, all the while saying he doesn't need it anymore? He says it there at the end of verse 17. I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He isn't seeking another gift for himself. Instead, he seeks fruit that increases in their account. Rather than receiving a blessing from them, Paul wants the Philippians to be blessed. He wants them to receive a blessing. And Paul here isn't speaking merely of financial blessing. Paul understands that the Philippians have been under financial distress. They, they've, they've had a hard time. He understands that there was a time in which the, their, their support of him financially had been intermitted. It, it, it had gone on hiatus. They couldn't afford to support Paul. And recently they've renewed their support of him. He's not speaking merely of financial blessing here. He understands that their support of him, though it was put on hold because of the financial uh, uh, deprivation that they had, that that's not what they most need, is a, a restoration of prosperity. And so this desire for their fruit to increase to their credit, it, it doesn't only or solely refer to material prosperity. 
It might include a measure of prosperity as a component in the overall blessing he's seeking for the Philippians, but the blessing he desires for them is much bigger than that. As one commentator writes, even if God does bless someone with wealth, they are blessed not to accumulate, but to give. Why do some Christians have more wealth, more prosperity than others? Is is it to to accrue it, to amass it in in a corner? According to this commentator, and I think he's right, no, it's to give it away, to help other people with it. But Paul here isn't referring only to wealth. He's not referring only to blessings in this life when he speaks of increasing fruit for the Philippians. Throughout this letter to his Philippian brothers and sisters, Paul places an emphasis on eternal reward rather than temporal earthly reward. Most recently, Paul wrote of those whose names have been written in the book of life. He says that in chapter 4, verse 3. Earlier in the letter, he spoke of the great day of the Lord in chapter 2. When every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He made reference to his attaining by any means possible the resurrection from the dead in chapter 3, verse 11. And in chapter 3, verse 14, he talks about his straining forward to what lies ahead, pressing on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call to God in Jesus Christ. Paul's emphasis in this letter is not on material possessions or in a blessing of financial wealth. If that were all that he was interested in, he would not be telling the Philippians not to send any more financial gifts his way. Paul knows with certainty that God will supply every need of the Philippians, every need that the Philippians will ever have, and he understands that in an ultimate sense their most important needs are spiritual, not material. And so that is what he's primarily speaking of when he speaks of the fruit that increases to their credit. He wants them to store up treasure in heaven. In verse 18, Paul writes this. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now we know that the Philippians sent a financial gift to Paul with Epaphroditus. So Paul is referencing that gift here. But undoubtedly other gifts were sent along with him as well. He references gifts in the plural. And we don't know what these other gifts were. Other than that Epaphroditus supplied Paul with news about what was going on in Philippi. And most likely what was going on in the other churches in Macedonia. He probably did bring letters to Paul from various members of the church at Philippi or perhaps other places. But in regard to their financial gift, once again, Paul tells the Philippians that they have given him enough. I've received full payment and more. Now don't mistake Paul's telling the Philippians that they have given him enough to be a refusal by Paul of all support from everyone. Paul is not cutting off all financial support from everybody. Paul has accepted contributions again and again over the course of his work as a missionary. He's written numerous times about how those who labor in ministry of the word ought to be provided for financially from those who receive the ministry of the word. And so Paul here is not flatly refusing help. He's simply telling the Philippians that they have contributed enough financially for him. They've given more than their fair share. And so... I don't want you to make the mistake that that Paul finds it difficult to be on the receiving end of another person's generosity, which is a real problem. Acts, the book of Acts says, uh, 
Paul's referencing Jesus and he says that Jesus, Jesus says it's better to give than to receive. And that is true. But it's also true that it's easier to give than to receive. It takes as much grace to be on the receiving end of someone, else, someone else's gift. Whether that's a gift of, of money, whether that's a gift of, of groceries, whether that's a gift of clothing, whether that's a gift of time, of work around the house. It takes as much grace to be on the receiving end of a gift as it does to give a gift. Now we are much more comfortable here in, in, in giving things to other people. We are very uncomfortable in receiving things from other people. Don't deny other people the blessing that God gives them when they give to you. Don't deny them that. But what that also means is, I think we can, we can pull from this passage, is that it's good for you to give. And not just to your pastor, not just to your church, to one another. To care for each other. To look out for each other. What that implies, however, if there are givers, there have to be receivers. Don't refuse the gifts that other people desire to give to you. Don't refuse their help. You are denying them a blessing. You're robbing them of what Paul talks about here. This increase of the fruit that he talks about. Over the years, we have had people in our church who give of themselves until it hurts. You can, you can probably think of, of several. But when people try to give to them, try to help them in some way or another, they refuse the offer. Everyone has a time in his or her life, more than one, where they need to be on the receiving end of help. Swallow your pride. Accept the help that other people have to give to you. And in so doing, you will help to foster in this church a fellowship, a community, a partnership in times of trouble. Don't be proud. Don't be afraid to tell of your need to other people. Allow people to serve you. What that means is that there have to be willing, people willing to serve, to jump in. As difficult as it may be, Paul shows that it is good and proper to receive help when you need it. And Paul finishes out our passage this morning in the second half of verse 18. He writes, I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And here it is, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, it, it's interesting to, to see how this is, happens in the church. I don't mean necessarily to step on anybody's toes but, but there seems to be a trend in certain sectors of Christ's church to do away with the, the offering as a part of the worship service. And, and perhaps you've found yourself wondering, what, how does, we don't do offerings anymore. Why do we have this thing that's called an offering uh, in our worship service where people drop uh, money or checks into a basket and, and it comes forward? We don't do offerings. This is not the Old Testament. Why do we call it that? Well, Paul's language in verse 18 gives us the answer. As we, as we mentioned, the gifts Epaphroditus brought, they consisted of more than just money, but he did bring to Paul a financial gift. And the language that Paul uses to refer to this gift and, and the others is that of a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Where do you hear this kind of language? 
You hear it in the Old Testament as it refers to the sacrificial system. It's right out of Old Testament passages that refer to, to animal sacrifices that are being offered up to the Lord. So, for instance, in Genesis chapter 8, verses 20 and 21, after Noah and the ark have come to rest on dry ground, one of the first things that Noah does is he builds an altar to the Lord and he makes an offering to the Lord. We read in Genesis 8, 21, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living, living creature as I have done. Now, what did, this, what did this mean on the part of Noah that he gave this offering? When, when the animals entered the ark, there were just two of each kind. Now, presumably, there had been some reproduction along the way. Presumably, perhaps there were uh, some, some new creatures that had been given birth to during the time that they were on the ark. But the fact is they had very few creatures, animals, to sacrifice. They're, these creatures were precious. They were rare. And yet Noah offers one up to the Lord. One of God's creatures that could help to further populate the earth as, as they went out and were fruitful and multiplied. Noah offered one of them up. What does this imply about our offering. Well, it implies that we give sacrificially. That we give of our, ourselves. It implies that we're not stingy. That we're not uh, uh, miserly in how we give. When you give to the Lord in this worship service, it is an act of worship. It belongs in the service. When you get to support the ministry of this church, it is a fragrant offering. It is a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. But your gifts, they're properly given. They ought to be given out of a sense of gratitude for what God has done. To simply throw a check, to throw some cash in the offering plate without thought for why you're doing it, without any gratitude... You're, you're, you're entering into an area that's dangerous, into territory that's, that's dangerous. Your mind, your heart, they're not in what you're doing. It's not worship. Or it's dangerously, perilously close to not being worship. Remember that when you give, you're giving as a response to what God has done for you. When you give, give gratefully to the Lord and trust that he will use your gifts properly. Why should you be grateful? Why does it matter? What should cause you to well up, uh, have, have gratitude welled up within your heart? Well, it, it goes back to what we read there at the beginning of the worship service from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2. This language of, of sacrifices that are, that are pleasing to the Lord. It's not limited only to, to animal sacrifices of the Old Testament. It's not limited to the language that Paul uses here when talking about a, a financial gift. Listen to this again. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why do you offer to the Lord a fragrant offering? In this case, now in, in, in the New Testament era of Christ's church, Financial gifts, time, effort, prayers. Why do you do it? 
Because Jesus Christ offered himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Because of sin, you were deserving God's eternal wrath in hell. You deserved his judgment forever. But God in mercy gave you the gift of everlasting life with him. He sent his son to live the life that you are incapable of living, obeying every commandment for you because you can't obey those commandments yourself. And he died the death that you deserve to die. That alone, brothers and sisters, is enough for you to be so grateful that you want to just give it away. Give yourself to others. If you believe in Jesus Christ, then this is true for you. God has given you the gift of eternal life. He has set you free from bondage to sin. And it is out of gratitude for all these blessings and more that you present your offerings to Him. You present yourselves to Him. Your time, your money, your efforts, your prayers, your support and encouragement, your tears, your shoulder to one another. Jesus Christ has partnered with you in your trouble. We read it in Isaiah 53. He took your griefs and your sorrows upon himself. He bore them. He suffered the wrath of God for your sins. God is calling you to partner with one another in the gospel. For the well-being of one another, of course. So that the gospel will be proclaimed and call sinners to Christ Jesus. But most importantly of all, God has called you to partner with one another in the gospel, to partner with one another in trouble for his glory. So that he will be exalted. And that, brothers and sisters, is worth every sacrifice that you're called to make. Amen. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we pray that you would help us. What this passage of Scripture calls us to do is more than we can do by ourselves. We pray that by your Spirit, you would help us to share in one another's troubles, to be true partners, to enter into true fellowship with each other, we pray that you would help us to carry one another's burdens. We pray, dear Lord, that you would help us to be vulnerable enough that we can share our burdens with others. To make our sorrows and our pains and our struggles known to others. We pray, dear Lord, that we as a body would glorify you in the way that we give of ourselves to you and to others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.